0: Now, if you're in Bitcoin, does it mean that you swear off all others? For the maximalists, the ones who believe the only crypto that matters is Bitcoin, the answer is a natural yes. The answer is equally powerful, delivered by those who are diversifying, who are evolving and innovating off of Bitcoin, from which thousands of altcoins are born, some better than others, to be sure. So on this panel, we are going to ask, What is it about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum and others to have such a tribal structure in communities? What is the view on the future of cryptocurrencies and how they can exist together in one economy or do you see a maximalist, ubiquitous future or diversified one? And how does supporting one single cryptocurrency also support the decentralization ideals of blockchain? And crypto? Well, in the grand tradition of putting together some of the brightest minds in blockchain, this is a lineup that has me drooling right now and hoping a lot of you in our audience at our summit drooling right now. Let me introduce Raul Paul, founder of Real Vision, hedge fund visionary, whose insights on crypto for investor audiences is one of the most followed and respected pretty much by everybody in this panel. Um, we've got Leah Wald, CEO of Valkyrie, whose Bitcoin futures-based ETF is now trading on the NASDAQ, among the first approved by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Anmel Huang is partner at Amber Group, a 24-7 crypto finance service provider that has traded over half a trillion dollars across 100 electronic exchanges, presence in Hong Kong, Taipei, Seoul, and Vancouver. And Alex... Michinski, founder of $3 billion Unicorn Celsius, probably a little north of that right now. This is a platform for cryptocurrency users to earn interest, borrow cash, make payments, and it is great to have you all here together. I don't I don't think we've ever all chatted together. This is some star power right now. It's but really welcome to all of you.
1: Great to be Thank here. Thank
0: you, Andy. Thank you, Angie. <laughs> okay, let's get started. Each one of you, tell me, what does Bitcoin mean to you? What was the first introduction, the first taste of Bitcoin? Raul, I'll start with you.
1: So my journey was after the financial crisis and the European crisis, so 2008, 2012, I was in search of a solution because of this global debt bubble and the fact that in the financial world, nobody knows who owns what because everybody's reborrowed the same thing, rehypothecated everything. So I was actually stupidly trying to start the world's safest bank, which is not an easy thing to do. And I was in the process of that going around the world, Singapore, Switzerland, the US, when somebody said, you should look at Bitcoin. And I looked at Bitcoin and immediately understood, A, it's store of value property, but the power of blockchain for the recorded ownership of everything. And that was it to me. I thought, okay, here's the future of the financial system. And so, you know, I got in. 2013, and I wrote the first macro paper about how to value Bitcoin as a a macro asset class basing it around gold at the time, much like that stock to flow model that Plan B has built much better than I did. Um, But so, so, yeah, that was my journey in. And I thought it's the future of the financial system. And it's obviously become a lot more since then.
2: Absolutely. Leah, your first moment with Bitcoin. Yeah, and thanks again for having me, Angie, and fellow panelists. It's a real honor and pleasure. So I, I was, interesting to Raul's point, um, I was working at the World Bank in 2009 in the Sub-Saharan Africa region, and I remember uh, when uh, my fellow colleagues were working on MPESA, which was the first SMS-based microfinance system, um, and it worked very successfully in Kenya. Uh, it was then, you know, bought by Vodafone and bought to other areas, um, but it really provided an opportunity for me to be able to see how microfinance can work fairly seamlessly in rural areas and underserved areas. So when I learned about Bitcoin a little bit later uh, and then finally jumped in a little later than that, uh, it all made sense to me. And for me, what it meant was financial inclusion and freedom. Um, and you know, my big desire is to really see it take off in the developing world. And really in a way that was as seamless as I was seeing MPEZA being built all the way back then um, to get it there. And I think, you know, we're, we're getting there with El Salvador right now. But I think uh, we're going to see a lot more adventure uh, this year and the next and many years after.
0: And Annabelle, you were probably still in traditional finance at the time when you heard about Bitcoin. What, what, did, what were the first thoughts that crossed your mind and, and what was your first taste of it? Yeah, so um, me being a mathematician by background, I was actually very intrigued
3: by the uh, consensus mechanism, the the design of it that we can have so many people participating but be able to trust each other on a on a trustless system and i think that is the foundation of a lot of the decentralization that needs to happen and we haven't seen anything concrete before before bitcoin is here and i think i was blown away by that and then later on of course a lot of the the other financial applications were built on top of blockchain and many other applications as well but i think initially that was my aha moment where i feel like wow this is the online technology for a lot of new things um, and of course, being in finance, and I'm more interested in the financial applications of it. So um, naturally, I uh, gravitated towards Bitcoin and, and all the other things, uh, crypto asset classes that came after. Uh, and it's just been, uh, what a ride, I'm sure all of, everyone here would agree.
0: Alex, how about you? What does Bitcoin mean to you?
4: Well, it's, it's a new financial system, right? And and uh, we since the Medici's uh, 700 year of banking, not much has changed. We kind of relied on this uh, double entry system for 700 years. And here comes what I call a triple entry system, right? It kind of, everybody has all the information about everybody all the time. And, and uh, one of my employees showed me the white paper in 2009 and I, it was nine pages. I was like look, going through this and I was like, this will never work, you know it's not faster, it's not cheaper. It's not uh, anything, right? I totally missed the the fact that Satoshi solved the you know the double spend problem. I, I worked on uh, Momo, Mo- mobile money back in 2004, and I thought, you know I, I, I knew what money was and how you transferred from place A to place B. so I completely missed it, only after Mongox 2014. I realized that this thing has legs. I mean, this, nothing can kill it. You know, you can throw an atomic bomb at it and it will just keep walking. So, uh, so really uh, had to reprogram my brain and look at what seems like inefficiency. The fact that it cycles every 10 minutes looks like ancient uh, technology, right? Is actually an advantage, not a disadvantage. So it takes the journey. I think Raul talks about that a lot, like that, all of us go through this journey and then you have a eureka moment right you you keep going down that rabbit hole and then that eureka moment is really neurons new neurons winning against all of the old neurons that told you you know everything and then you realize okay i'm 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 ready for bitcoin
0: i think i i think for me it was yeah sitting on on that anchor desk and you know obviously talking about uh, financial services, the financial world, financial products, uh, instruments, and seeing this emergence of an alternative asset class—you uh, know—and and I—I and I hate to say it, but it was it, there was a very dismissive tone to the coverage uh, at the time. But uh, for a lot of us, it was also there is something really interesting here, um, and I want to talk about. That because at, at the beginning that that dismissiveness perhaps was a, a, a not necessarily understanding of the tribal nature uh, that really surrounded crypto and Bitcoin in specifically. What is it about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, and like so many other coins that that have come up that have such a tribal? Kind of structure in communities, <laughs> and and
4: well, is it actually I, I driving?
0: Think... Yeah. yeah, go ahead.
4: No, I I don't think it's uh, uh, only Bitcoin, right? If you look at our religion, yeah. for example, right? We we have a Orthodox uh, uh, Church and we have a, a Lutheran Church and we have all these things that that uh, they're still fighting over several thousand years. They're still arguing who has the who's carrying the flag. For Jesus, so it's kind of the same thing here, right So we have people who are uh, who believe that uh, um, Satoshi got it all right and there's no need for anything else. and there are other people I mean remember uh, Vitalik offered the Bitcoin Foundation. he was the editor of Bitcoin magazine. He offered the Bitcoin Foundation the source code for everything Ethereum, the smart contract, everything wanted to contribute it f- for free into Bitcoin. And they said, no, it's perfect. The old Bible is perfect. We don't need to change anything. And he decided to write a new Bible, right? The, the, the New Testament. So, and I'm Jewish and I know all the history, you see. So, so it's the same thing here. It's, I think we, we're just going through this experimentation where we are evaluating new things. Just, you know, the, the planes we fly don't say Wright brothers, right? They say, uh, Boeing and they say, uh, Airbus. And the same thing with any type of technology, right? We evolve, uh, we explore, and the best solution ends up winning. It may be Bitcoin or it may be
1: something else.
0: That's for sure. I mean, Raul, uh,
1: yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think about this is, this is like behavioral economics on steroids. So behavioral economics is about incentive systems. And this is about building a network. We know about network effects. So the, the you know, Metcalfe's law values the network based on the number of people on the network and the number of kind of interconnections between them. So when I first saw this, I realized that this is like a behavioral economics experiment that is perfect for humanity because your incentive system is not a like button on Facebook or a bit of dopamine, it's money. The more people you bring onto the network and the better you defend the network, the more your stake in the network is worth, it's as simple as that. so if people believe in Bitcoin, they will want to defend their network at all costs, and they will want everybody to come to their network. It's human behavior and that's what makes these ecosystems so robust is this does really work now, it depends whether you want to deal with you know one particular religion or you you know you want to deal with- spirit, spirituality as a whole, which is the whole digital asset space. And there's different ways of thinking about that. So some people are more kind of maximalist about the whole space, like this is going to take over everything, which is how I would define myself. And others are like, it's all about one thing. And don't forget, when you actually speak to these people who are in the different camps, they're actually speaking different languages. So the Bitcoin people are talking about financial inclusion, the philosophy of money, inflation, and they're talking about liberty. They're talking about things that are not part of the conversation in Ethereum in the same way. Because those guys are looking at money, just the, the system of money. Ethereum's a system of technology. And so people talk about it in different ways. And you're even seeing this tribalism now going down to NFT level bored apes versus crypto punks versus. And again, it's defending their network and the value of their network. So it's it's behavior because you make money from doing it. So it's amazing.
0: It's self-preservation uh, d- d- defined uh, to your point. Leah, you just, uh, you know, you, you've you got your ETF, your futures uh, ETF, Bitcoin futures ETF uh, on the NASDAQ. Now you are bringing aboard uh, probably a lot of new people to this space you know, how, how do you view, view the tribalism and how it's also, you know, bringing on a, a lot of new interest?
2: Yeah, I, I want to start by saying, Raul, I completely agree with you. And one thing you said was, you know, we believe in Bitcoin. I mean, it's already it's always started on this very emotive um, level for a lot of the early adopters. I mean, what gets us excited was, permissionless value transfer, unconfiscatability, immutability, financial freedom. I mean, these aren't light topics, right? I think that Bitcoin truly is this incredible ability to ensure your cognition doesn't atrophy because you're always thinking about these very esoteric beliefs of what is money? Do I agree with this? Am I opting in? So I, I think, Angie, to your your first question, and sorry, I promise I, I will answer the ETFs, is just... You know, I'm very excited about that because the community is so emotional. And I think because of that, you know, it'll always be strong. Um, it is not just a financial asset. Um, it is this very deeply emotionally tied um, living, breathing thing. And on top of it, to Ravel's point, add in behavioral economics because it is money. So you, you really get quite the, quite the powerful swing. To the ETF. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited that you know these were finally approved. I know that not everybody is excited that it's a 40 Act Futures ETF, but I think that it's an incredible first step of approval. And there's definitely, as we all know, extreme pools of wealth and pockets of wealth that have been waiting for this traditional market vehicle in order to enter. So I think from an adoption standpoint, um it's gonna be great because it, it just will provide that vehicle that makes these institutions comfortable and as they start wading in um, they'll understand the technology better they'll they'll start to get more excited and as maybe the spot bitcoin etf and other vehicles come out in the future that maybe are more associated with the underlying again i think it's a great opportunity for more people to get involved in the ecosystem
0: Annabelle, from your perspective, from the, from the Asia perspective, you know, how, how do you view, is there tribalism amongst, you know, the, the, this part of the world where, you know, or, or are people thinking about Bitcoin differently and thinking about, you know, other coins differently and, and you know, maybe looking for vehicles, uh, you know, on this side of the world, you know, that, that onboard them into this world?
3: Yeah, I think uh, again, also want to echo Rao's point where it is travelism a lot is about your social network, your identity. So, um, a lot of times it's not just economics driven, even though in Asia, I think it's still primarily uh, about financial economics um, and all that. But um, this year, I actually um, started traveling a lot just as part of our global expansion uh, plan. And I was in London, I was in Dubai, now I'm in. In, in Russia, CIS region, and um, also going to be in LATAM and and in these regions, I think people adopt different things for different reasons. Uh, a lot of emerging the markets, they really bought into Bitcoin because it's sometimes about survival, about finding a currency that can use, versus um, in, in a more sort of investment or, or um, other perspective. And and in in some areas, uh, especially develop, uh, developer heavy areas, they. Um tend to you know stick to uh, one one blockchain, for example, because maybe the founders are rooted there, and um, they really had this network. and they want to be a part of that. This is their identity. So this is really interesting, just uh, from a global perspective, um, how people have been thinking about it. Um and back to your question, I think in in Asia, like I mentioned, um I think people are um, perhaps more practical as as opposed to philosophical, to an extent, um, but you know the level of participation and, and, and passion has just been unparalleled. Um, so
0: yeah, interested to to see how mm.
3: the global market plays out in that sense.
0: Absolutely. Okay, I'm gonna throw up a tweet right now for discussion. According to a tweet made famous by Bitcoin Maxi, no pun intended, Max Kiesler. Bitcoin's disruptive nature is, quote, the absolute disruptive limit a crypto coin can achieve and no altcoin can match its scope. What do you guys see as Bitcoin's competitive advantage over other cryptocurrencies? Or is there?
2: I'll Uh, I'll, I'll, go go for it, it, Alex. Go
4: ahead. No, go ahead. Ladies first. Go ahead. (laughs)
2: Oh, thank you very much. As a Max Kaiser fan, you know, it's always fun to, to be on the heels. Um, and his progression in the space is, is quite remarkable, being quite the gold bug originally himself. I think that his education has been quite incredible. Um, to his point, I, I, I think that Bitcoin has many points of differentiation. For me, the most important is that there's no CEO and there will never be a CEO. I think the decentralized nature can never be taken away. We don't know who Satoshi is. Um, You know, I think we never will. Uh, There's obviously we can have fun speculating, but that's about it. Uh, And I think that because of that, the rest of the principles around the coin um, will always put it a little above the rest in its... Uh, store of value principles and the other beautiful principles that allow Bitcoin to be a means of payment, a store of value, um, and all the other, the Bitcoin network to be a wonderful technology and provide those opportunities. Alex?
4: Well, uh, you know, again, I, I'm against all this tribalism. I think uh, um, all of us win together by migrating, again, the traditional finance uh, into the new world. And it's not—is it, is, uh, you know, Ethereum or is it Bitcoin? It's more about: uh, Are we building the future of finance, or are we just importing all the bad practices that Wall Street and others have uh, practiced for the last few hundred years? Right. So, so are we providing financial freedom to eight million people? Are we creating inclusion? Are we leveling the uh, uh, the set? I mean, the the gap between the poor and the rich has never been higher in history, in human history. Right. And and, and so, so for me, it's all about the use cases and the implementation and not about some OGs who got in early and, and took a few seats on the bus and they're basically saying, hey, this is our zone. We're not going to, uh, you know, we're not moving from here. So, so the, the use cases are the most important things, you know, like uh, are you, for example, creating yield that uh, is not possible to get any other way. And because of that, a billion people are going to show up and join. Or is everybody just trying to get rich, hoping that uh, you know they got in early enough uh, on the bus? so 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 there are, there are the best talent in the world is leaving companies like Google and Facebook and so on to come and join this revolution because they want to make the world a better place. Uh, the, it's do good first and then do well, right? So I think uh, that is most of the movement. Yes, there are people who are in it just for the money. But most of the movement, and that's how Satoshi created this as well, uh, was about changing the world and making it a better place.
0: I mean, Raul, when you take a look at, you know, all the challengers like Ethereum, Cardano, I mean, you name it, you cover it, you talk about it. um, Do you get a sense that there is a competitive uh, outperformance nature uh, of these other uh,
1: protocols versus Bitcoin? My answer to this is simply, they're not the same thing. It's like saying, oh, an Olympic sprinter, is he competing with a javelin thrower? No. So it's the madness that this whole way this thing is framed always. It's like this space is going from $2 trillion to $200 trillion. And the share, Ethereum's share and Bitcoin's share of that space will decline. But will they be the largest by market cap? Maybe. Will Ethereum be larger than Bitcoin's market cap? Probably. Does it matter? Not at all. Does it take away from Bitcoin's perfection as a um, as a protocol and an asset and an idea? No. So then I just don't get the argument. That's the, that's the whole point. Bitcoin's perfect. does what it does. We use it for what we want to use it for. And we can use other things, as Alex is talking about, to build other applications. If our goal here is to change the outcome for humanity, then the stupidest thing is to do with a the religions did which is fight with each other because what you do is fractionalize everybody and you marginalize the mission that everybody's trying to achieve it makes no sense
0: amen and that that is yeah, exactly um we i think hey. we like to yeah, compare Angie,
4: quite quite the plug-in that was perfect amen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Annabelle, you're joining us from Ukraine right now. I'm I'm curious the conversations about Bitcoin adoption, especially as the world watches what El Salvador is doing.
3: Yeah, um, in Ukraine, there is a very vibrant uh, crypto community. I think a lot of them are traders, um, actually a lot of active day traders who perhaps make their wealth this way. And um, that's quite different from maybe the US or Western Europe uh, European markets that, that we've seen um, so I think you know it's more emerging market uh, centric over here but there are a lot of developers based here a lot of the the protocols and other projects um, might have a base here uh, to really utilize the, the local resources and it's, and it's um, you know the broader sort of Russia CIS market um, and it's very close to Europe so I think you know there's going to be some spillover um, happening as well uh definitely very interesting to be this part of the world uh, similar to, to some of the markets in Asia, but also has its own characteristics.
0: And, and everybody loves the OG and that is Bitcoin. Um, and despite we're seeing really the altcoins coming up and there's really some dominant uh, technology characteristics like scalability and cost efficiency. Bitcoin is still the most valuable blockchain dominating around, uh, what, 45%, at least uh, as as we speak, of the total crypto market cap. What do you guys think makes Bitcoin so valuable? What What is that inherent value compared to other cryptos that, you know, might, it's, you know, that have its own fans? Yeah, go ahead.
1: We can talk about philosophy. We can talk about the beauty of Bitcoin. We can talk about everything. But actually, the value is provable, and it's just Metcalfe's law. And because there's more people on the network of Bitcoin, it has a higher value. And it works perfectly. You can perfectly value it You know, within, you know, it doesn't give you a tick-by-tick tick price, but you know what it is. And it's the same for Ethereum, which is going you know, four, five times as fast. So obviously, we're seeing the market cap of, Ethereum, catch up with Bitcoin. So the value is just the network. Everything else is a narrative. Now, why you choose that network, okay, that's a different thing. You might, you know, it, Bitcoin's narrative might attract more people or it's the way it's built might attract more people. But the real value of these things is proven out in the network effects. Um, and it's once you get your head around that, it's much clearer. And you worry less about thinking about, you know, what is the inherent value because what you're doing is you're getting 150 million crypto users around the world are actually voting in real time mm-hmm. they're telling you where they see the value accrue if that's not one of the most democratic things you've ever seen in your life you know it's incredible and so we should just be open to that
0: and so should we yeah, be totally... watching what leah's doing yeah uh, sorry Can we get I mean, another
2: we... amen after that <laughs> <laughs> amen. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I just want to just want to add just want <laughs> yeah. to add to what uh Raul was saying that that um I totally agree that uh, every second is a vote, right? Every second we all vote to buy or to sell the asset and the price of the asset represents the overall confidence or lack of confidence uh, in this or that protocol. So uh, but the the, the uh, Ethereum is now 13 years old. Uh, uh, sorry, Bitcoin is 13 years old. Ethereum is about seven years old, and, and it's not that Bitcoin is twice as safe as Ethereum. Bitcoin is probably 10 times safer than Ethereum because the difficulty to crack uh, a much older blockchain is logarithmic. It's not a linear. Uh, so for a lot of uh, users, a lot of institutional users, when they look at the safety of the asset and the maturity of the blockchain, they view Bitcoin as a much safer, not a little bit safer, but a much safer asset. Uh, uh, and for them, uh, Ethereum is more venturing into a higher risk uh, uh, asset. But I would, I would say that uh, stable coins are actually probably the biggest challenger for Bitcoin as a digital asset. And the reason is that for most institutions, it's much easier to move from dollars to stable coin than it is to move from dollars to Bitcoin. So right now, the landing, kind of like the, the main landing strip into crypto for the last 13 years has always been Bitcoin. But I think as we kind of change the mix and we had more family office and others, they may come in on the stablecoin side rather than on the Bitcoin side.
0: I mean, what, what we're seeing is, you know, I mean, just observing this space, what we're seeing is it starts with Bitcoin. It's the gateway to crypto. And then Ethereum And then there's just a lot of activity in altcoins right now. There seems to be this kind of bifurcation of interest almost where, you know, um, institutionals will go to the Bitcoin and Ethereum and maybe it's a little bit too expensive. And a lot of the retail class, including in Asia, are starting to explore altcoins in, in a really... Interesting way, Annabelle, Leah. Do you do you see that? Yeah, I
3: think we've all, always seen this cycle, where especially during um, the, the market cyclicality, that um, in, investors go into Bitcoin and then rotates into altcoin, and eventually, um, when market dies down, right, it, it goes back to, to Bitcoin, and that proves, um, like uh, Raul and Alex said, uh, Bitcoin being the, the longest standing and uh, the more secure and and the most validated, um, it's still uh, the the go to choice. Uh, but during market act- hot market activities, people will tend to look down the risk spectrum and and see whether altcoins oh, are there. But it is hard to argue if, if something that's been around for only a year is it here to stay. Uh, it took us uh, what seven years uh, to to be convinced that Ethereum might have a to uh, have a chance to really. Uh, Flip uh, to have this slippening effect on Bitcoin, and, and maybe we'll see others down the road. Uh, but I agree, uh, time and network and, and consensus building is very key in this market.
4: If I can add to that, it, it's a very it's a very inefficient market. It's not like a you know traditional market where you have a thousand analysts who analyzed the Tesla and they all everything there is to know about Tesla has been dug out. I'll just give you a simple example and I am talking my own book cuz token is sells you know something Celsius issues but uh, Celsius is at 30 billion in assets under management and like you said our valuation is about public valuation is about uh, 3 billion dollars Solana which is the hottest thing right now has 7 billion in in AUM versus 30 but its market cap is 60 billion so So there's a lot of trapped value that if you just do your homework you can look up and say wait a second you know uh, celsius paid a billion dollars in yield to its community that's 10 times more than anybody else how does that compare to other players and where is the real value right so i'm not recommending you to buy this or that i'm just saying that the market is so immature that uh, uh not everything that makes a lot of noise uh, is the best asset and and for a lot of people it's very hard to figure out okay what is a long-term play versus a short-term play what is a real value versus not real value and so on.
0: Alex you are talking your book but but that's okay (laughs) that is okay. On this panel, it's okay. Um, but Leah, I mean, this is this is your world, Raoul. This is your world. I mean, you take a look at, at at the market. That also includes what Alex is doing, right? And and Annabelle as well. Um, how how do you take a look at this space? Um, you know, crypto often does move together. How how do you think about a diversified portfolio? How do you think about assessing value,
2: um, Leah? I'll start with you. Sure, just bringing up. Uh... A couple of points that Alex and Rowan made that I really liked. Uh, I think that it can't be underestimated the strength of each protocol's community and how much it resonates with each user, with each investor. And that's institutional and retail alike. So from the institutional side, as we're talking about, again, a lot of institutions are resonating a lot with Algorand these days, um, and especially because of the green narrative. I mean, there's you know been a narrative for a long time of, uh, ESG models, but more, moreover, right now, kind of debunking a lot of what has been allocated to ESG models. Um, so I think that discernment is actually great, and a lot of investors, again, both institutional,s from the wires to the platforms to the family offices and the hedge funds and sovereign wealth funds and pensions, are thinking not only, all right, you know, I'm excited about Bitcoin, I'm excited about crypto, but um, maybe, again, are worried still about that negative narrative about electricity and how proof-of-work consensus you know, works um, and will resonate more towards one of the coins and or the coin communities. Um, so I, I think, Angie, that what is interesting from our perspective of what we're seeing when we've been speaking to a lot of the platforms uh, since we launched our first trust in January and since we've launched six different cryptocurrency trusts, Um, working in conjunction with those coin foundations. Um, We've seen that from all the major banks and the wires and the platforms, they're not just interested in Bitcoin. They want to understand what's next. They want to understand the communities and the CEOs and uh, the companies behind the other coins um, and see if that's a fit for their platform. Uh, I think that it will take them a little bit longer to get more comfortable with some of these funds. They'll probably stay in private format for a while. Um, But I do think that everybody is thinking about that next step. One one point to Annabelle's point, um, you know, we do see the greed trade a lot happening. We see that Bitcoin becomes boring and people roll over their gains into altcoins that they think they can make much more money from. Now, that is true um, that they can. But it is interesting when everybody comes up with this. Synonymous narrative of Bitcoin being bo- being boring. I-, I saw that especially while living in Singapore for the past two years. And-, and to your points about Asia, the Asian markets are just very different in the way that they see Bitcoin and the rest of the crypto ecosystem. And um, it's much more focused on, well, from a democratic perspective, what's you know, what is the best next trade? Um, and that isn't always just totaling Bitcoin. Um, so answering your question in a better way, I think institutions and the next pools of wealth that jump in are looking at more than just Bitcoin and in many different ways.
0: Raul, how do you view crypto investing?
1: So it's fascinating because most crypto investors are not financial market investors, mm-hmm. yet humans coalesce around exactly the same behavior everywhere. So what they've created is a risk curve. With Bitcoin being the bottom end of the risk curve, i.e. the least risky asset, and then a pre-sale token or some new DAO is at the high end of the risk curve, or some of these kind of algorithmic DeFi protocols that have yet to prove out that the algo works. So what you've got is a perfect risk curve, and it works exactly as all other markets do, credit markets, equity markets, bond markets, everything, which is the bull market. No, the bear market, everybody sticks with the safest asset. The bull market starts establishing. People start going out to the next tier. The bull market is now cemented and recognizable and understandable, and everybody goes out the risk curve. So, you know, everyone talks about alt-seas and everything else. It's exactly the same in credit markets. You know, people go to the junkiest credits, private sector lending. People do it in equity markets, they go to emerging markets or small caps and... gold miners and then silver miners and yeah it's all the same right so what what people are doing is saying okay i understand there's a trend how can i make more money from that trend so that's just normal what is really interesting was alex's point is what is starting to fascinate me is how much alpha there is in this space so alpha is kind of um, performance that is not explained by the underlying movement of the market itself. It's because we've never gone into a market where I don't know how many new tokens and now NFTs are launching every week. Right, There's thousands of the things, thousands. And what it means is there's not enough capital for the space and not enough analysis in the space. So you get massive informational advantage if you understand something better than others. So not only do you get this kind of risk effect where, you know, everybody can look like a hero. Right now, you can basically buy anything. You can just pick random tokens and make money, right? It's, that doesn't make you smart. It only makes you smart because you've seen the opportunity in the space. But the alpha, there's not even enough hedge fund money. There's about $4 billion of hedge fund capital in the space, $5 billion. Right. And so they're traditionally one of the kind of price discovery seekers. There's just not enough capital to do this. So it, that's why I'm so excited from an investment point of view. You know, I'm excited for all sorts of different things. But from an investment point of view, the sheer alpha in this space is unparalleled. It's unparalleled. And that's why it's really exciting.
0: That That information and, and discovery it, is the business we're all in, including all the attendees Alex, you were going to say
4: no, I was just going to add that that at first I totally agree with everything I was said and and it's it's like the uh, uh Wall Street bets crowd uh, showed up with and, and started throwing money on everything uh, and obviously they can move the market very, very rapidly because the both the liquidity and uh, this market is much less liquid than the NASDAQ or, or or something else. And, you know, you kind of see a, lo- a little bit of that in the SPAC market where right now there's just not enough good deals. There's, there's like thousands of SPACs and and we kind of exhausted the, the the ability to find good deals and create alpha. Uh, but in crypto, no one knows what's going to win. There's not a the single person who can tell you, okay, here are the winners of next year. And because of that, uh, uh, there's tremendous opportunity if you can really uh, uh, be very close to some of these projects, see who is really uh, solving a huge problem and uh, uh, basically uh, get on that bus versus the kind of like the safer Bitcoin bus, right? But look, Bitcoin in the last few weeks outperform every one of those assets, right? It's the best performing asset in the last few weeks. And I think a lot of that has to do with ETFs and the fact that people understand that all this new money is going to show up through the ETFs one way or another. Uh, but I think, again, we exhausted that move and you're going to start seeing rotation uh, because of that.
3: And, yeah, it's interesting because the crypto native clients that we have has been um, really capturing the alpha in the space. Like Raul said, um, you have information, you know, the the teams personally, versus on the more traditional institution side, um, it, they're still coming in using bi- Bitcoin as a gateway, which is probably why it solidifies Bitcoin's dominance still, uh, before the, maybe the rotation happens. And and you just see really two very different trends. And I think a lot of the institutional money is still trying to figure out how Bitcoin fits into their, their overall broader portfolio as a, diverse, a diversification before they will look into crypto specifically, you know, how to diversify between this asset class that's so brand new to them. But once they figure it out, because again, holding Bitcoin for a while can get boring, they, and they, they're very um, incentivized to see what else is out there. We, we've seen that with some of our uh, traditional client financial clients uh, who got into space a little earlier, and they start asking, what, what are the DeFi blue chips? And some of them started playing NFTs, and then got really big and into the crypto punks, and and that's just fascinating
0: to see. Well, this is testament of alphas seeking alpha. This this panel, are all alphas seeking alpha, and that is one hundred percent for sure. Guys, we have completely run out of time. I I'm getting the tap on the shoulder. I could do this for hours. Um, it was such a pleasure, such a generous gift that you've given to our audience, um, and, and all packed into one brilliant conversation. Uh, Raul, thank you so much, Alex, for joining us from, uh, where you are, Leah, Annabelle from Ukraine. Thank you so much for joining us maximalist or diversification. And I think Raul, we're just going to sit at your altar. And as you preach, Hey, it's, it's not one or the other, it's. It's everything. So thanks, guys.
1: Inclusion is everything.
0: Absolutely right.